Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to our service again this morning. Um, let's pray. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. Um, and then we'll, we'll read from a passage, some passages in particularly the book of Ephesians today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for all the opportunities we have to worship, uh, to listen to your word, to be in fellowship, even if it's online. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit who has no limits, who has no boundaries, may continue to work among us and in us and through us, my God, and may reach out all the hearers today uh, to speak into, his, into their hearts and the words that need to be spoken. Father, I'm in your hands uh, praying that you have your will and that you have your way this morning in all that is said and done, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I was thinking about some of the, the great... Uh, rescue stories that we've heard over the, the years. I mean, I think um, if you're old enough to remember, there's, there's, been, there's been different types of rescue stories for people who have, have either been found themselves in a really bad situation, really awkward situation, and then, you know, the whole nation or the whole, even the international community are watching and observing. And we're all kind of intrigued by, 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 these, great, by these great rescue, great rescue stories. And um, the one I'm, well, you know, you, you, most of you probably remember the couple of guys in Tasmania that were stuck in the mine and, and the, you, know, you know, eyes watched, um, you know, the communities watched to see this great rescue story. But I'm sure a lot of you would also remember the one that was um, in Thailand when the, when the soccer boys and their coach had gone, you know, decided to go into a cave for a little bit of an excursion. And then and then because of the monsoon rains, they got flooded and all of a sudden they found themselves rather than what probably was meant to be a couple of hours ended up being a couple of weeks. But the whole world watched, yeah, there was something like a thousand uh, rescuers that were or people involved in the rescue process. But it was this fascinating thing that we were intrigued with because here they were, these people stuck. They were stuck in in this cave and, and really there was a really serious question would they come out alive would they actually survive you know the, the risk of the waters you know the difficulty of actually reaching them and there was a real genuine concern that these children and their coach would not survive this this ordeal this this horrible situation that they found themselves in and so when the rescue took place you know people were watching this rescue and then all of a sudden of course when they were rescued it was an incredible um you know sense of achievement and people were so excited and happy for them uh, because this these children and their coach were, were were saved were rescued from this situation and we love this and i think we're intrigued um, by by this this rescue these rescue stories and particularly this one here we're intrigued because there is a sense at one point where we don't know what's going to happen and all of a sudden we see that you know there is a great a beautiful outcome as a result of this and we know as Christians when we talk about well you know today being Valentine's Day and we talk about the great love of God and we talk about the love that we acknowledge around us and the people that we love around us that we take this perhaps this day to acknowledge we 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 spend a moment to remember this is great love that set out a great rescue for us in a situation or a place or a time when we ourselves could not save ourselves we couldn't we couldn't get ourselves out of the cave if anything all the elements of life were working against us everything possible was working against us it wasn't just the physical rain it was everything else in life that was working against us pushing us against the things of God we call it our human nature and the enemy himself was doing all that he could to say or to to prevent us from being rescued by this great love our God, our creator has for us. 
The Bible tells us very simply, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, will not be sent to hell, will not find destruction, but have everlasting life. That they can know and be sure that when life passes, that not only will they know their God today, but they will know their God forever. This is, if you like, the greatest love story. And people will acknowledge the people they love today in their lives. But I want us just to spend a moment to say, well, you know what? There is a God who created us who is our greatest love. And think about it from his perspective for a moment. We are his, his greatest love. He, to him, we are his greatest love. So much so that he sent his only son to go on the cross to die for our sins. That's how much he loved us, that he would give up the precious son that he has for our sins. That is great love. And, the, and, and what was interesting about this story, this rescue story of the, the, the children in Thailand, was a year on, they, they were sort of finding out how they were travelling and, and some had, had really, um, had their lives had sort of, I guess, for want of a better word, had improved. You know, some had a bit of fame, they'd received citizenship of their country, a um, bit of money perhaps because they told their story, um, their, their Instagram, you know, followers boomed, all these things that kind of, people see as, as, as you know, um, a good result of, of what, you know, these sorts of things. But interestingly, other players of the club, they say, began to get a bit jealous. And how could something that was so, you know, bad luck brought, bring them such great fortune, you know, because these other players were still poor or they were still stateless or they were still... You know, they needed they, they, their lives weren't any better. And just because they these these guys got themselves in a bit of bad luck, things had changed. And isn't that fascinating? But here they were, other players becoming jealous because of this great rescue their friends had experienced. Brothers and sisters, God loved the world. Doesn't say God loved a certain culture, a certain people, a certain um, language group. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the only thing that's stopping your experience of this great love is the way you respond to God. God isn't picking some people and saying to you, no, you're not allowed to be involved in this. And you can see you're being jealous of everyone else that has experienced God's great love or somehow you're being left out of God's great love. Somehow you're, you're not allowed to be part of God's great love. The thing that stops you is your response to God. You're choosing not to love him back. You're choosing to pursue every other love in life. And it only takes one other little love in life to creep into our hearts and we stop to experience fully the love of God. So you might get jealous of others who seem to be strong in their faith. You might get jealous of others who seem to have this intimate relationship with God. But at the end of the day, it's not from God's side. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so our response is the thing that God's waiting for. Our response to give him all of our hearts is the thing that God desires. He loves us. This is his great love. No need to be jealous of the response that other people have. And I believe that to be true for everyone today, brothers and sisters. I believe we need to uh, come to a place that we realise, wow, if this is how much God loves us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? And I want to read a passage this morning as we, as we look at the circumstances of life because there are times when dismay and discouragement or discontentment uh, or even the feeling despaired 
you know, all these circumstances in life, and you might be feeling those things now, but that's not a reflection of the love of God. And I want to remind us this morning of a beautiful passage in Scripture that, that encourages us to remain steadfast in our faith because we have an enemy and we know the enemy Perhaps you could argue, and I believe, the greatest enemy is ourselves. Yeah, we are, as people say, our greatest enemies because we begin to see things and experience things and we start to internalise things and we start to believe things that aren't even true. Isn't that our experience? We hear certain things and we experience certain things. All of a sudden there are thoughts that come into my, our minds. They start, out, they start up as thoughts and then all of a sudden they get reinforced by things and before we know it, we're believing them. Believing them either about ourselves or believing it about other people or about our circumstances and we become our worst enemies. And even though people say, but hang on, what about this and what about that? We find it hard to push through because these thoughts have created a brick wall. And God's truth begins to unpack or even break that brick wall down for us if we're prepared to believe it. But we have an enemy and we call that, we say we are, our greatest enemy is ourselves. But we have, brothers and sisters, let's not forget, we have a real enemy called the devil who will do everything he can to make sure that your life isn't what it's meant to be in Christ. He will work 24-7 actively with great intention and all his team to make sure that your faith, your life, the kingdom of God is ripped apart. He doesn't do anything. His mission is very simple. Did you know that? He has like a mission statement and it's very, very simple. He's come to steal, to kill and to destroy. Wow. That is a pretty powerful mission statement. Every day, every day, his mission is to steal, to kill and destroy. You think, whoa, how in the world am I supposed to come against something like this? Well, you know what? That's true. You know, when I was little, I actually enjoyed playing arm wrestles. I don't know if you liked arm wrestles when you were little. And, the, and part of the fun of playing arm wrestles was that you would, you know, you would entertain the idea of beating someone, particularly if others thought, and I don't know if this was a bit of pride when you were little, but when, particularly when others thought the other person was going to beat you, you used to even take the challenge more seriously because if you could win, well, that was a great thing, you know, because everyone thought you weren't going to win, you know, the arm wrestle. Um, and, and so you play this game with this anticipation. And I used to play with my kids too when I was little. And when I was little, of course, you kind of let them win. You know, it's like, oh, oh, you won. You know, but as they got a bit older, you began to seriously realise um, you, you might not win this game. You might not win this game because they're older and they're stronger and they're bigger and, and, they, and you get kind of older and weaker, you know. So, so you start to entertain. This is going to be a wrestle that I might not win. Or even when they were little, one of the things we used to play that was really, really fun was we played wrestling on the ground. And then, but the goal, the goal of the game was who was going to be the first person to take the other person's socks off their feet. And it was a real wrestle to actually manage to do that. And of course, when they were little, there was a bit of fun and you'd let them win. But as they got a bit older, it got, it got even harder, you know, because the wrestle got even harder. And I think this is such a beautiful analogy of life. You know, we, we have wrestles in life. We have wrestles in life where we think, oh, this is, this is okay. You know, I can get through this. And, and, and we, we consider our faith to be strong. But when the wrestles come, and we realize they are stronger than us. They are bigger than us. They are genuinely more, they're genuinely more difficult than we think we can cope with. Then our faith is tested. Our faith is tested. And it's in those moments, brothers and sisters, that God is calling us to stand. It's in those moments. Because the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy is out 
to damage and destroy things. Despite how big we think him to be, he's not God. He might be mighty. God is almighty. And so there is this um, call for the Christian to continue to pursue the kingdom of God and to allow our walk to be unmoved by the plans and the intentions of the enemy. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read one verse, then I want to go to, I want to, go to chapter 5 and then come back to chapter 6 again. I want to just read one verse to, to kind of set the scene for us this morning. Ephesians chapter 6 uh, and, verse, and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible says this, now, remember, remember, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he's writing this letter to them and he's coming to the end of his letter and he's written all these things. And I guess it's one of the reasons I want to go back to chapter five to look at this, but he's because he's been given them instructions. And then in verse 10, he says, finally. Well, why finally? Because he's been giving them a whole load of instructions to encourage them and to help them and to strengthen them. And then he says in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, Paul's not um, naive. Paul knew what it felt like to be discouraged. Paul knew what it felt like to experience the things of life that can cause you to be dismayed or even despaired. Paul knew those things. He knew what it felt like to have these experiences that would tempt you to become downcast. But he says to his people, he says to the people of God, I want to tell you one more thing. I want to tell you a thing, perhaps even to say, and this is the, not the most important thing, but perhaps this could wrap everything up for us. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He wants to remind them of something they need to do because the enemy, he's about to say, is at work. Let me give you some examples of how the enemy works. Let me give you some before we read this passage. Firstly, he's going to work because he's going to somehow challenge truth. Do you understand? Think about your Christian life. Think about the things you hear. He's going to somehow challenge truth. He's going to suggest things like this, that what you're hearing this morning, that's not true. Or, or he's going to say things like, um, oh, everyone, what everyone says is true. Go to any church, any denomination, any religious group this morning. It's all true. He's going to challenge truth, whether it's to undermine the truth I'm preaching to you or whether it's to suggest that everyone holds truth, whatever it is, and everything in between. He's going to challenge truth because there's only one truth. Whether you like to know it or not, whether you like to hear it or not, that's the truth. There's only one truth. And just because we as humans decide there are more truths doesn't mean there are more truths. Whatever we decide, there's only one truth, and we come back to the Word of God as this truth so you've got to remember there is an enemy against us but the bible says very clearly if god is for us who can be against us and this is this is the powerful truth for example that the people of god have let me give you another way he challenges these things righteousness okay that's a that's a big word basically to mean that we live like christ lived righteousness now tell me let me tell you how he challenges righteousness he challenges righteousness like this, very sneaky for the Christian church. He says this to them. You can be righteous. Go and be righteous. Go and live good lives. 
but he'll teach a righteousness or a life that is somehow just below the image of Christ. Do you understand? As long as he can get you to a place that is just below the image of Christ, well, then, you know what? I think he's succeeded. Oh, yeah, you can forgive. Oh, go ahead and forgive and forgive and forgive. But but this one, aha, that's, that's gone too far. Now you've got to dig in and, and this person has to know how you really feel. I don't know, for example. Oh, or truth. You've got to tell the truth. You've got to tell the truth. You've got to tell the truth. But for this one, boy, if you tell the truth, you're in trouble. You know, so for this one, maybe it's okay. So he'll take you to a place of righteousness that is just below the image of Christ. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Why not tell you to be righteous, but only to a place where it's not quite the full righteousness of Jesus? So he'll challenge that. He'll also challenge brothers and sisters um, your peace. He'll rob you of your peace. Boy, if he can rob you of peace, that is uh, such a powerful weapon in, in, in all the collection of the enemy because what he's going to do, because if you lack peace, you, you lack the ability to give peace to others. You, know, you lack the ability to walk in this peace and share this peace with other people, which people need so desperately. He'll rob you of the understanding that salvation is always at work. In other words, he'll say, you know, you've been saved. Good. But this idea that God continues to save and to rescue and to deliver you, that somehow hasn't stopped at the point of salvation and therefore you can put your feet up and all of a sudden just cruise your way into heaven as if like it's some automatic pilot system. He'll rob you of the knowledge and the understanding that God continues to deliver and to work in the hearts of his people. Perhaps so you can rest in a, in a negative, in a bad way. He'll also cause you to neglect the word of God and prayer. That somehow the word of God is not that relevant anymore. Or the word of God is something I can perhaps look into occasionally because there are so many other good books out there, even Christian books. And he'll neglect you of prayer because he'll have this mentality creep into your mind that says this, does it really matter if I pray or don't pray? Or what's the benefit if I pray? Like as, or if I, if I, you know, maybe some of you felt like you've prayed so much without any success. Like, like maybe the idea that um, God owes us something. So he'll do these things as in a general sense, he'll do these things in order, in order to rip apart the, the, the kingdom of God and the faith of God's people. But more specifically, let me give you a couple of real practical ways that the, that the enemy does this. And to do this, just go back with me for a moment to chapter five. Look at chapter five, just four verses, and have a look at more specifically how the enemy has crept in and, and, and is wanting the church to somehow uh, lose, lose its beautiful nature of being Christian and being like Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Well, there you go. He's going to challenge the capacity for you to walk in love towards others, friend and enemy, helper and hurter. He's going to challenge 
you the ability to do that. Now, at the camp, God willing, if God wills and we can go to camp, uh, this whole idea, this whole theme is going to be unpacked uh, in more depth, being free to love. And to be able to see in essence how the children of God are called to this very most beautiful quality, to love as the way Christ loved. He says this, and who has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And then he says this straight after that, but fornication and uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Do you hear what he's saying? When there is sexual immorality, whatever it might be, whether it's what you watch or what you do or who you're with, whatever it might be, he says, and also covetousness, the idea of coveting things that aren't yours, whether it's someone or someone's wife or, or someone's thing or, or even something you, they've got you haven't got, covetousness. He says, even these things, let it not be named among you. Now, if that's the instruction, what do you think the devil's going to do? For sure he's going to say, well, maybe just once. Maybe once. No, the Bible says, let it not be named among you. I think some translations even say named even once among you. Because this is what he's going to do. If, the, if God is asking for us to rid ourselves from every little bit of sexual immorality and every little bit of covetousness, if God is asking us to be absolutely clean of these things, well, the devil's going to say, I want to mark it a little bit. He goes on to say, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Let not the church be responsible for talk that is foolish and not wise. Talk that will bring people down and not build them up. Talk that will make people feel bad rather than be lifted. Nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man, idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. And this is why he's so um, so uh, intent on bringing these things into the kingdom and in your lives because he knows, he knows that these things practiced do not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. So these things he's, he, he wants to bring into the kingdom and God's saying, get rid of these things. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might because he's been communicating with the church these things. He's been uh, explaining to the church these things because, brothers and sisters, it is an absolute honour. Listen, this is what we forget, that though he is strong, if God is for us, who can be against us? Though he is strong, it is God that says in Isaiah 41, I think, don't be dismayed. I am your helper and I am your strength. It is an honour to walk in the light. It's a gift. God has gifted you to come out of darkness where there is reason to be dismayed, discontent, discouraged, despaired. There is reason in the dark to feel like this. But he's called us into the light. And for this gift he's given us, he's asking us to stay strong. Look at verse 7 of chapter 5. Uh, sorry, uh, so therefore do not be partakers with them. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are 
the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so you become um, light, you experience light, but you become light to others. This is the gift of God. So in saying that, he wants to encourage us and remind us of how to do this. Now, I, I recognize that what I'm about to read with you could take weeks of a study. And maybe one day we'll come back to it. But I want to just remind us today because you, you might be dismayed. You might be discouraged. You might be downcast, whatever the reason might be. Maybe it's because of the change in circumstances in our states, whatever it is. The truth is God has not changed. And the truth is the enemy is still working, but he cannot work more than the will of God. So he says, back, going back to chapter 6, and I'm just going to very lightly touch these. If you want to go in more depth and you want to study them more, beautiful. Maybe, like I said, we'll talk about them again on a Sunday morning. But just as a way to encourage you this morning, he says in verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11, and put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armour of God. It's interesting how he says this because there is no, it is risky to try and shortcut the things of God. Have you ever experienced that? That I'll do this, 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 but I'll leave this, this out. I'll live this way, but I won't compromise. I won't do that. I'll, I'll compromise that. The, 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 there is no uh, um, um, room for that in the kingdom of God. He says, you know what? If you want to stand strong, if you want to stand strong, then you have to put on the whole armor of God. You know, a soldier goes to battle, you know, and he's got his sword standing at, next to him, and he says, mm, no, nah, don't worry about it today. What would you say to him? Mate, you just you really you really want to go into battle without a sword, or he's about to go into battle and all his the, the the enemy against them are coming with them with swords and spears and he sees his shield and he thinks yeah I'm all right I'm okay really you don't need your shield today they're they're, they're armed with weapons <laughs> the swords they're going to throw them at you no 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 it's okay you know you would say to that soldier get real you need every part of your armor if you're serious about overcoming. If you're serious about standing in the day of battle. So Paul says this to them because he wants them to realize something. Their wrestle now, particularly in the New Testament church, their wrestle now isn't with the physical elements of life. It isn't with the people of life, if you like. He says your wrestle now is not against flesh and blood, but there's something going on in the background. He goes your wrestle is against principalities powers look at where the enemy the devil is lurking and and working in this situation um against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places so if god ever granted us one day that he would open up our eyes to see what exactly is going on in the spiritual realms of things we would be horrified mortified to see that that the enemy is planting I think, seeds in every possible corner of this earth, whether it be in law, whether it be in politics, whether it be in certain educational settings, 
whether it be in communities, whether they be in workplaces, whether it be in homes, whatever it is, the enemy is, or whether it be in media, even social media, movies, the entertainment industry, whatever it is, the enemy will gladly, if allowed, will gladly and intentionally plant his influence, his seeds into every corner possible. So the wrestle, brothers and sisters, is not with people. The wrestle is a spiritual one. And so the people of God must battle spiritually. And so he says to them, therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. See, it's quite interesting because often... If you want to reinforce the point, you, you know, you would say it again and again. This is what he's done here. He's told them to stand with the whole armour, verse 10, um, and sorry, verse 11, and then he's told them to do it again in verse 13. Perhaps he knows something we haven't quite realised. <laughs> Without this, you're lost. Without this, sorry, you're, you, you're going to lose the battle. Because he would have experienced, he would have experienced the spiritual influences against the church back in his day. He would have experienced the physical attack and the spiritual attack going against the church and what that would have meant for him. He would have found himself in prison. He he would have found himself in all situations and circumstances because he stood for Christ, but he understood the battle is the Lord's. So, and just briefly, he says in verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth some some translations will talk about the belt of truth children in sunday school you've probably done this before you've probably done it recently i know that we had this great activity where you used um um uh, stuffed bears to 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 look at the armor of god and maybe some of you have still got your bear that you did at the armor of god and, and you would see that on that bear there would be a belt of truth because truth holds the armor up You don't take off your belt because if you loosen things, that's not going to be very effective for you. But the belt of truth, the belt of truth must be worn. It's very simple, brothers and sisters. If God's word says it, it's so simple. If God's word says it, we must believe it. We must believe it. Now, Yeah, okay, we'll just leave it there. So this is the truth. This is the truth of God. God's truth is coming, yes, to cut, but also to heal. God's truth comes. It might divide, but it also unites the lovers of truth. See, this is is the truth of God that ultimately sets people free. You know those things I spoke about earlier on when we take circumstances and situations in life and we internalize them and we make them our own and we start to believe them and because we start to believe them we start to live certain ways. Well this is not truth. The truth of God sets you free from these things to rise up above the emotions if you like and live as Christ would have us live. If God's word says it we must believe it. The next one Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Don't you love this? The breastplate of righteousness. Because where, where's this breastplate? It is, it is guarding the heart. It is, it is allowing you to make sure, as the Bible says in Proverbs, guard your heart. How do you do that? Because these are the things of God that need to be lived out, the righteousness of Christ. Not, not little compromises. 
because the little compromises allows the, the breastplate to be exposed. All of a sudden you say, oh, but this is very tiny. This is very small. No one will notice. No one will know. It will not impact anybody. Well, at the end of the day, let's say possibly if it doesn't impact anybody, it impacts you. Because of God's great love for you, he doesn't want this. And so he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I'm saying, guard your heart and make not even the most little of compromises in your life. Can we do that? Well, we can, by the grace of God. This battle, though it be stronger than what we think, the battle is the Lord's. And we cry out with a, with a place of, in a heart, with a heart of faith that says, Lord, I can't, but you can. Accomplish it in me, Lord. Work it in me, Lord. With your truth, work it in me. He goes on to say, the, um, um, verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, I've always seemed to think that this is in reference to knowing God's peace and sharing God's peace. Because when you walk with the shoes of peace, if you like, then you know what it feels like to walk in peace. And the fact that they are shoes, we are called to go out and be hope to others and offer them peace. Now, maybe, just maybe, when we keep that vision of walking and offering peace to other people, we lose sight of our own reasons to not have peace. Because we carry a message. And we want the world to know. The enemy would love to rob us. Yet God has called us to be peaceful. He goes on to say in verse um, um, 16, which, again, I, I'm curious why he says above all, which it's interesting he says above all because if, you, if we could have favourites, if we could have favourites, I'd probably say this is my favourite kind of um, piece of the armour, so to speak. If we could have favourites, it would actually be that he says, and above all, the reference is above all, he says, um, and I'll just go to it, taking the shield of faith. Taking the shield of faith, he says, because with this, you're going to be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, of the enemy. Now, this is the truth. <clears throat> Those who've been on camp, you've probably done archery before, maybe archery tag. Those who've gone done paintballing before or other sort of sports like that, um, the joy is, is, is hitting the target, isn't it? That's the joy. You know, you hit the target, whether it's archery, you hit the center, um, whether it's um, uh, paint, paintball, you, you hit the person. It, the, these things, or laser tag, these things are aimed so that you intentionally hit your target. Let me tell you the truth. The enemy has what the Bible calls fiery darts. And what he's doing with these fiery darts is very, very simple. He has one goal, to destroy you, to destroy me and to destroy our faith. And he says that's why you need to take the shield of faith because when he throws and aims and, and, and slings these arrows at us, the only thing you're going to be able to do is not intellectualise and say, hmm, that's an interesting arrow. It's coming my way. It looks dangerous. It's, it's not to intellectualise it. In fact, you might even feel it because you take out the shield of faith and it quenches, it quenches that arrow. Now, my experience is this. Even when I quench the arrow, 
I can still feel the pain. Do you understand? I'm not, I'm not um, immune to the pain. Just because I'm quenching the arrow, it doesn't mean it's beating me up. It doesn't mean it's not beating me up. Just because I'm quenching all these arrows, it doesn't mean I'm not exhausted. But he says you will quench the fiery darts. When he comes and he suggests things like, oh, this is hopeless, this is useless, this circumstance is never going to change, you're back into this situation again, or this person's always going to be like this, whatever the situation might be, and the enemy comes, or your, your sin or your habit is never going to stop, whatever it is, you quench the fiery darts. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I've, thank God I've never had to use one before, but I know in some workplaces you have things like called a fire blanket. And that fire blanket, oh, and in your home, some people might have them. This fire blanket, my understanding is very simple. If there is a fire, uh, obviously a manageable one, if there's a fire, then you use this blanket to smother it, to quench it. Logic, use faith. You don't go and grab the cooking oil and say, you know what, maybe this will work. Or you don't go and grab petrol and say, maybe this will work. Of course not. And so the, 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 the idea of when he throws darts is not to start to entertain all the things that you think are going to go wrong. It's not to start to entertain all the things that you think are going to be hopeless again. The challenge really is to be able to take the blanket of faith, if you like, and quench the enemy's ideas and walk faithfully. This becomes, if you like, the walk of faith so that we may continue to represent the life of Christ. Now, this is different, brothers and sisters. Listen very carefully. This is different to have being in a place where you question. Uh, if you're anything like me, there's loads of times that I question things. Lord, why is this? How does that happen? Why does that happen? And, and so you're in a place of questioning but you're not in a place of doubt. And so a place of doubt is a place where you can no longer quench the fiery darts of the devil. It's got to you. Your questioning has come to a place where you no longer have the capacity. And even in those moments, you need to cry out and say, Lord, I, I, I need you in this circumstance. Because the enemy will fight. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. If the Lord is with you, who can be? against you may the lord open our eyes to see just like i think it was elisha with his servant prayed and said lord open his eyes to see that we have an army fighting against that uh, fighting for us when we can't see he goes on to say here um, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god which is the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation. Perhaps this again is a reference to God, how God is actively working, saving, delivering. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take the word, this truth that you know. Take it with you. Let it be the reason that you defeat the enemy, not just quench his darts, but now use offensive, offensively to, to, to cut down 
all the lies of the enemy. You know, wasn't that what Jesus did? He went into the wilderness fasting. He took the sword of the spirit. Didn't he do that? Very simply, when the enemy came with lies, he says what? Three words. It is written. And it became for him his rock. It became for him his help. It became for him the thing that endured this time with the enemy. Because Jesus knew firsthand what it felt like to have the attack from the enemy himself. And just like he attacked Jesus, he doesn't like Jesus' people any better. He, he hates as much the little Jesuses. And so he will come with full force and we will stand with full confidence knowing that the armour of God, because of the power of God, is working for us. Brothers and sisters, I pray that what you're encouraged this morning to do is to continue to believe, not in what you're, not in the battles that you can win, but rather in the God who can win the battles you can't because the battle is the Lord's. And that we trust and pray that in the coming days, that yes, we see a change of circumstances, that we get back together again. But more importantly, that every day, today and tomorrow, every day is a testimony how the battle belongs to the Lord. This is our this is our faith, knowing that God has got this, that He's Almighty in all our circumstances. Let me pray for us. Let's pray together as a church. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, for this day. We thank you for your word that is precious to us. It lifts our spirits, it builds our faith, it strengthens our hope, Lord. And Father, when the enemy comes and throws all kinds of reasons to be dismayed or, or discontent or despaired, Father, we pray that you continue to hold us up in your word, that we would wear completely the armour of God and trust completely in the things of the Lord. Father, we pray for the church that you continue to take us through this time. We pray that by Thursday things go back to normal. We pray against uh, the growth of this virus, Lord, and we just continue to pray, Father God, that we may continue to fellowship together, honour you, glorify you in every day until then and beyond. Father, bless those who, um, who uh, made a commitment a couple of weeks ago, continue to strengthen them and encourage them. And, Father, bless those, encourage those who are planning to be baptised. Give them a real sense of your peace, knowing that you're in control. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, your blessing in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.